Let's just remind ourselves of where we're up to uh, with this story, the story of Joshua, this wannabe nation, this traveling band of people, this 40-year-long camping adventure that you don't want um, in your life, this wannabe uh, nation, where they've got to, they stand on the precipice of the promised land. That's a bit of a mouthful right there, the precipice of the promised land. They stand right there with their first enemy in front of them. And what happens is this strange, these people under God's spirit, but I guess via the mouth of their leader Joshua, they get this direction to, to do this strange ceremony. That's, that's at least how I see it. It's a strange ceremony. They walk around this city a bunch of times and at the end they walk around this city and they make a loud noise and then all the walls fall down apart from in a certain little spot where where Rahab lives and these this wannabe nation who've had 40 years wandering around finally have it's like their D-Day of their world war they have now a foothold in the promised land it's the first battle and it's we're in and it looks awesome that's the whole story and you're well within your rights and you should be saying to me right now so what in fact that's been the question hasn't it if i don't know if you've noticed whether it's been me or paul preaching we've given you the story and then we've all we've gone every time so what what does it matter i've got a busy day tomorrow i've got people who who value my time i've got bigger things to think about this is too big this is not an, a big enough story for, for me to think about. And, and by the way, if you were going to give me a story, this is, this is not the part of, Bible, part of the Bible I want you to take me to. I want you to talk to me about Jesus and the nice things that he said. Don't take me here to somewhere that means I've got to think about religious intolerance or conquest or crusades or anything like that. Don't take me here. Don't open this door up. So why should we listen? Let me give you a few reasons. And I guess me and Paul have banged this drum right the way through. But this is the story of kingdom. The story of kingdom. The idea of kingdom. That's what we're looking at here. The city, kingdom, God's people going to invade the city, kingdom. Runs right the way through the Bible. So you flick open the first few pages. Genesis, the Garden of Eden. God, God's, God the governor with the people in one place. God's people, God's way, it's kingdom. The end of Revelation, it's kingdom. Everywhere in between, it's kingdom. And in the Old Testament, this message of kingdom, it's like visceral and literal and painful to look at. It's, it's born out in, in battles and land and cities. And you can see it really clearly. There's a story. And in the New Testament, because that's not, that's not the full story of what kingdom is. And Jesus comes in the New Testament and tells us a little bit more about it. So we get a growing picture. Jeremiah, let me tell you what Jeremiah says, then I'll tell you what Jesus says. Jeremiah says, and he's kind of looking forward as to, the, as to what this idea of kingdom is going to be. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor saying, I know the Lord because they will all know me. This kingdom idea will end up in hearts and minds. And Jesus could say, and 
you can skip through any of the Gospels to find, you know, read through any of the Gospels. Jesus doesn't tell one story without telling the next story about the kingdom and what it really is. Kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. It's, and Jesus comes and he gives us this, this fuller picture, that it's a matter of hearts and minds in its fullest sense. It's not just born out in these battles, but what these battles do and what these stories in the Old Testament do act as a bit of a visceral, sort of graphic picture of this, this internal struggle that's going on in our hearts and minds right now. What's right and wrong? What should I do? What, what does it mean to be part of God's people? When you look, when you, we've got that, that, that thought process going on. I don't know if anybody's seen the film um, Inside Out. Have you seen the film Inside Out? Where it, where it explores the inner workings of the mind like it's a real thing. And there's people walking about that your that emotions. When you look into the Old Testament sometimes, this is not all the Old Testament does, but it's part of what it does. You can see viscerally this conflict of right and wrong working out in a group of people. That's why it's so helpful when you look back into the OT. The other thing that this story is, it's just a picture of walls, walls that should be insurmountable, being made I don't know. Walls that should be a barrier to stop us getting through just come tumbling down. I don't know which came first, the chicken or the head. I don't know if, if the walls of Jericho's story has influenced it or if it's come the other way around, but, but the idea of walls are a real metaphor, aren't they, for where we are in our lives? You find that? When you're running a marathon, you don't get... When you're running a marathon, I'm saying when you're running a marathon, like everybody here is running a marathon. When you're running a marathon, it's not that you complain about achy feet. You just get to a point and you say, well, I've hit the wall. Don't you? The, the wall, this idea of a wall comes up. When you're in a relationship or when, in your job when it's not quite working out or if you're trying to break out of a habit, that kind of thing, the expressions that you will use, you'll say, I've, I feel like I'm bumping into a wall. You ever said that in your marriage or in your job or, or, or breaking out the habits? You ever use that expression? I feel like... I get so far down the road and I just hit a wall. Our lives, I think, big statement, our lives are punctuated by, by these blooming walls that we walk into all the time, aren't they? We hit these walls all the time. And what, what the story of our lives is punctuated by how we deal with them. Whether, you know, have you ever felt like you get up to the thing? The thing that you can't get past and it's a wall there, whatever it is in your relationship, in your job or career, whatever it is, and you get there and you go like, I can't get past it. And you, there are people, I'm sure, who've, who've faced walls like that and been, spent the rest of their lives just looking up at them, thinking, I just can't get past this. For others of us, we try and skirt around them and we think, oh, I can't go near there again. I'm just going to avoid that. Walls punctuate our lives. Here's a story of walls that are, from a human perspective, impossible to, to breach and they just come tumbling down. That's why you should listen. I hope we're going to see two things. Here's, here's, here's what I want you to hang on for. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I hope I can explain. Meeting with God won't answer all the questions you have in your life. Meeting with God won't answer all the questions you have in your life. Meeting with God, and we'll see how this pans out in the story, will change 
the kind of questions you ask in your life. That's the first thing. Second thing, staying with God is not affirmed by accruing success. Staying with God is not affirmed by accruing success. The people of God are marked by how they endeavor to succeed. People of God are not marked necessarily by success. There's great wisdom in the Bible. There's great reason to expect that things will go well if you follow the wisdom in the Proverbs and the Psalms. There's every chance it could go right, but that won't mark you out as God's people. What will mark you out as God's people is the how you go about doing this. Listen in to see if I can explain how that works. So the, the key to this story really is right at the start of the reading. This battle that's going to ensue is never going to He's never going to go well without this initial meeting. So just have a look there at um, 5 and 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? The first question you've got to ask is, or it's the first question I ask anyway, what is Joshua, what is he doing here? Why, why is he here? Did he, was he hungry? Did he hear about a great takeaway place in, in Jericho? Why, why, is he, why is he wandering there? Now, let me try and explain. This is how I see it. And this, this insight came via an old kid's song that I used to sing. Twelve spies went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad, two were good. What did they see to spy in Canaan? Ten were bad, two were good. Some saw giants tough and... and I didn't expect to go for it, but I'm going to go for it. Some saw giants tough and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad. Too good. Anybody sing that? Just give me a tiny little nod. You're, you're, yes, brilliant. That's really encouraging. Whew, thank goodness for that. That's the story. So then you, you can trace it back. He's got previous as Joshua, you see. He's an older, I'm not going to say old, he's an older man now. But he's been here before, way back, right at the start. When the people got out of Egypt, God, God said, I'm going to give you this land. And so the leaders of the people said, well, we should really spy it out first. Let's go and see. So they sent 12 spies, 10 were bad, 2 were good. Joshua was one of the good ones. And he got there, and they had a good look around. And what they said to him was, just nosy round, tell us if it's good, and tell us if we can take it. And they came back with the produce of the land, some grapes. They said, it's good. It's amazing. But we can't take it. The people are too big. They are like giants. That's how they describe them. They're like giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. They're going to crush us. There's no way we can take that. But Joshua and Caleb, the other guy, the other good one, said, well, they tore their clothes. They were fuming. They said, no, we can. God has given it into our hands. God has given us this land. This is the place that Joshua was in. And what happened on the back of this first initial failure was that for 40 years, because this nation looked at Jericho and other cities like it and went, we can't go in there, this nation stalled. In fact, this nation crumbled. Everybody groaned. It was a massive, massive letdown, a massive setback. And now Joshua is back there. What's Joshua doing outside Jericho? He is staring hard at this city that has been his nemesis for so long. And he's saying, what am I going to tell these people when I get back? How am I going to convince them this time that we can get through? He's staring desperately at the ramparts and looking for gaps and all the rest of it. He's scouting out the land. 
He's got his focus now. God's given us this land, and I am humanly focused on how I'm going to do this, and who should he meet? And oh, it's a good job that he does. Who does he meet? Now, I want you to imagine the scariest human being you can ever think of in your, in your life. Just try and, maybe it's me, try and focus it. Focus on that just for a second. You know, one of those times when, you, when you're out in a city that you don't know, you take a wrong turn, you're walking through a, a small little street and somebody walks out the other side, some big dude with something you can't tell what it is in their hand and you're scared to death. Now, take that image and ramp it up by about a million as Joshua meets. Because we're the readers of this text. We know We've got an inkling as to who this is. Joshua doesn't know yet, but we've got an inkling because Joshua falls on his knees and worships. And he ends up taking his shoes off. So we know that this is God that he's meeting. Can you imagine Imagine already how sort of scary a picture this is, this commander of the army of the Lord with a drawn sword. You don't, you don't approach a man with a drawn sword. Joshua doesn't bail at this point. In fact, this next little line, I think, is more like fighting talk. That's how I read, read it. Joshua, and he's focused on progress. He's focused on taking this land. He's not clocked the terrible, scary guy. He's certainly, he's not yet clocked who it is. And he says, are you for us or are you against us? That's that, round here, that's fighting talk, right? When you say that, are you, are you for us or against us? Joshua's like, I'm gonna, we're going to take this land. I am focused on it. And then... The commander of the Lord's army, God says, and it's brilliant, he says, I'm neither for you or against you, but I'm here. And if you read this in the old KJV, or you read it in a more literal translation like my, my uh, ESV, it, God just says, no. It's a brilliant, brilliant answer. It's the kind of answer you get off a toddler sometimes. For those of you who had taught, sometimes when you ask them a question, they just go, no. I'm not dealing with that question. And that is what God is doing here. God is saying, this is the wrong question for me. This won't help you find out who I am at all. It's the wrong question. God just says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm neither for you nor against you. What you need to know more than anything else is that I am here. And what does Joshua do? First thing he does right in this bit of the text, he falls down into the dust on his knees and declares himself. He says, well, what should your servant do? He asks the first right question. He's met God. His battle, the battle that was before them, has changed in his mind. The need for this recce that he was doing has dissipated, and his question for God has become inappropriate. Hitting the deck is the only right thing to do. We, we get an insight here. We get an insight into us, human beings, and we get an insight into God. We get an insight into the kind of mindset with which human beings expect to understand God. The kind of goggles that we have on as human beings. Our, our capacity to comprehend God is based on our current circumstance. Do you see that with Joshua? He's like, God's given him the task, and this is the task, and this is what he's got to do. And he, he meets God, and his question for God is, so are you going, I'm going this way. This is where I'm headed. Are you going to go this way too? He's, he's just so focused by his own circumstance 
and his own surroundings. So when he gets, when he gets to meeting at God, he's, he's got the wrong question for him. Isn't, I just, when I read that, I'm like, this is so insightful as to, as to the human search for meaning and the human search for God. This is where we find ourselves over and over again. When we have an illness or a career disaster or somebody passes away in our family and our life is going like this, our life is going one way, and then all of a sudden it comes to a stop. And then we say, maybe we don't verbalize it, but in our minds we're like, so is this, the question for us is, is there still a God? Can there possibly still be a God because I'm going through this? I'm heading this way. Where are you, God, now? My career stopped. I'm not well. Somebody I know has passed away. That's the way that we see it. Maybe it's even bigger than that. There's a war in a country in the Middle East, and there's, there's thousands of casualties, and then there's thousands of evacuees and people rushing off to different countries. And we say, can they really... You know, where, where are you, God, in that? That's our question. We look at it with our human goggles on it, and we say, well, which side are you on here, God? Where are you in this? And God says, in all of these circumstances, like the tot, no, neither. I'm here. I had, um, I had my own version of this. In fact, I've had lots of my own versions of this. And the one that recalls I recall most clearly, I was about 16, and I flunked all of my GCSEs. All of them. Flunked them. Just, I was a disaster of a person at that point. Flunked them all. And in the same week, I was, I was a schoolboy at Leeds United. One of my grandest claims to fame. And in the same week as I flunked all my GCSEs, the only other hope in my life, because there was nothing else going on, was this football dream and they told me that I was no longer required to come. And I think pretty much at the same time, there was this initial war in Kuwait, and all these people were dying, and I was seeing all these bombs on the news, and I can remember quite clearly going, well, there just can't be a God, because I've just failed all of my GCSEs, and everything's gone wrong, and there's wars. How can there possibly be a God? And I got a very unlikely revelation. It was... It was a combination of the prophet Isaiah and Will Smith. Now these people, these people don't collaborate often, but they really should more often because it was just incredible. So first let's start with Will's input, Will Smith's input. Uh, the film Men in Black was out around the time of my demise. And there's this, so there's this film and it's, it's a great film. It's a really cool film. There's all sorts of just like really cool guns, blasting aliens and all that sort of thing. It's a lot of fun. And you think it's all about that, but actually it's all about this hunt for what they call Orion's belt. And it's this little, this little necklace on the end of a cat that's got the whole, and some people that have not seen the film are just looking at me like I've gone mad. It's got the whole universe, and I don't know why, I don't need to do this either. The, the whole universe is, is, is within this little necklace on this cat. And there's this moment where they find it and they get it and you, they look inside this, this little necklace and, you can, and it's, it was good uh, graphics or CGI, whatever you call it, in that day and, and you can see the whole universe and you're like, oh no, we thought it was all about this. We thought it was about shooting the aliens but actually it's just all about this. If you know, if you've got your hands on this, then you've got everything. Listen to what the Bible says about God. We'll, we'll, I'll do a Colossians reference first, then I'll quote the great man Isaiah. So in Colossians, Paul writes and he says, he is the image, he's talking about Christ being God. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn born over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And Isaiah similarly puts it like this, who has measured if you want the reference, it's Isaiah 40, 14 and 15. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales? That is who God is. He's that. And our question for that God who orchestrates everything, who holds everything in his arms, like it's and the universe is a speck in his eyes. That God, we ask to tag along with us. Like Joshua, we say, are you, you know, are you for us or against us? And that, that is the way we seek to, to figure him out. We, we come with our questions and our perspective and our worldview and we say, where are you in all this God? That God, we ask to tag along with us. I get asked, I've been asked recently a couple of times, and I've had this dilemma myself, and maybe you've had it too. What does it mean to be saved? How can I know that I'm saved? What, how can I be, be really sure? And I could reference Romans, couldn't I? If you confess, if you're faith, if you confess with your mouth that I am God, then you're, then you're saved. I could, I could take you down that road. But let me give you another definition. Let me give you something else to think about. I think you're saved if you get to a point in your life where you stop asking God to tag along with you because you've really met him and you've really seen him and you've had this moment where you've fallen with your nose into the dust because you've realized how great he is and you've got up and asked a bunch of different questions about life. That's the first point. Second point will be a lot quicker. God gets us to change our questions. Second thing we want to notice is that walking with God is about how you live and how you succeed, not if, not whether you have success. The Lord, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, chapter 6, verse 2, the Lord said, said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king, and it's fighting men. March around the city once with all these armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry, seven, carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone go straight in. Now let me tell you a little bit about this moment. This in and of itself was not, certainly in this time, and it's not that unusual now actually, was not such an unusual ceremony. Other cultures who worshipped other gods would do similar things in this time. They would have these similar processions. Get your God out in front of you, make a loud noise, walk around, all that sort of thing. That would happen. But nobody would fight like this. Nobody would do that because that's nuts. 
to go and fight like that. It just doesn't make any sense. You think about it. Think about the, think about the detail that God asks them to think about in this moment. Think about it if, you're a, if you were a fighting man and you were going to have to go out there and you were part of this army and you're like, right, what do we have to think about? We're going to go at night? You know, we, where, where's the vulnerable parts of the city? What, what, tell me what to focus on. And Joshua comes and says, what I really want you to think about is doing things seven times and I'd be like, what? That's the plan? You're giving me number seven as a, as, as a thing to focus on? I want to know who I'm attacking. I want to be psyched to fight. And whatever you do, and I'd be a bit annoyed, I think, if I were going to fight, don't forget the ram's horns. I'd be like, what, what do you want me to do with this? I'm going to fight. What do you want me to do with this ram's horn? You see, the task here, this is the key, the task here is not to win. That's not the point. What does God say? You've already won. I have given this place into your hands. You are the winners here. What is the task? The task here is to demonstrate how that has happened. That is the task for my people. I have given you this city into your hands. You've just got to walk around it and claim it. And in doing that, I want you to do it seven times. I want you to walk around seven times. I want you to blow, blow the, the ram's horns. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. What I want everybody to know is that God has won here today. On day one of your conquest into Cana, they're going to know that this was God's victory. Do you ever think that your Christian life and the patterns of behavior that we've got to kind of live out leave you feeling vulnerable? Do you ever get that? You ever think when, you, when we're called to, to live humbly, do you want to just say to God, this doesn't help me get on in life. I just I make a mug of myself. If I'm humble at work, this just basically means I'm not going to achieve. This just means I'm going to be lower down the pecking order than everybody else. When I'm kind, when I'm kind to other people, this just makes me, you know, look up at God. It just makes me vulnerable, God. If I'm a kind person, this just makes me easy pickings. For, because not everybody's going to be kind. There's, going to be, there's less kind people out there, and they're going to nail me. And you want me to be patient? It's rubbish to be patient. It doesn't get me anywhere being patient. You ever feel like that, that sense of this, this calling that we have just leaves us really vulnerable? Why is that? There's this brilliant Matrix-esque biblical revelation that comes right throughout right throughout the whole Bible is that we have already won. We are not fighting. We're not battling. We are demonstrators of a victory already achieved. So Jesus can say, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, so when Jesus is on the cross, he can say, and you kind of go, what does this mean? He says, it is finished. What is he saying? I've won. We have won. We live on the victory side now. And then when he's risen, he can look at us, his disciples, and he can say, go into all the world and make disciples. What does that mean for us? Go and live humbly, kindly, peacefully, gently. Go and live that hard life. And we missed the really important part of this verse in Matthew 28, 28. It's because, because all authority has been... See what Jesus says. Go into, the, go into the world and make disciples of all nations because all authority 
has been given to me. I've won. Go and demonstrate it. The task for us is not winning. We've won. It's about how we demonstrate that. All of our lives, all of our lives, we're going to encounter walls. If you've not got one right now, then one's coming. All of our lives, we're going to have questions, questions about God, about life. We're going to have them, and they're going to keep coming. Here's my encouragement to you. When you face the walls, and when you're pondering over the questions, remember Joshua. Remember Joshua who met with God. And when he got up from the dust, he had a bunch of different questions. Remember Joshua who faced a battle that turned into a stroll because he was faithful. 